You are now listening to Bipolarity. I'm your host, Cash Eugene, and I just wanted to say to everyone who's listening, thank you for letting me come into your airspace. Thank you for letting me into your headphones, into your earphones, into your cars, into your laptops, into your social media devices. However you're listening today, I just want to thank you. Uh, this message is going to be a little different than any message I've ever done before. This is a message where I get to clear the air. Before I begin, let's do just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, bipolarity is the state of being bipolar. For those of us who suffer bipolar disorder, and clearly I am one of them, you're always in a state of bipolarity. Whether you're having a good time, whether you're having a bad time, you're in a state of bipolar and sometimes we forget to regulate. Sometimes we forget to be grateful for the things that we have. Uh, sometimes we just forget to slow it down. The reason for this podcast is to leave a sort of auditory record. It's for me to leave the advices, the, the tools, the resources, the lessons that I've learned to leave them in a place to where when you're ready to hear them, they're here for you. When I first started this podcast, um, it wasn't for the bipolar community. It was essentially for myself. One of the issues that plague people with bipolar disorder is uh, memory. And I will have a hard time. I'll have a hard time remembering important lessons when they were applicable. I suffer bipolar type one, which leans more towards your manic symptoms. Uh, some of you have experienced mania, but that doesn't mean that you're bipolar. So if you're hearing this message and certain, certain things, you no, know, uh, if they kind of rub you the wrong way, or if you feel a little, if you feel a little distance between yourself and who you think you are, talk to a professional. That I can definitely say uh, really helps. It really helps. So enough rambling. Let me get to it. All right, guys. Um, bipolarity is my very first podcast. I started this back in May 2019. It was a way for, like I said before, for me to leave a record of the things that I was learning uh, because I was starting to see during my journey of bipolar disorder that there are so many tools so many resources that are hard to find. You have to know where to look. You have to know who to ask just to get the most basic pieces of what it'll take to form a life that you can be proud of. And for me, that life was almost snatched away. Not just by I'm not talking about just like death. I'm talking about um, my camp, if you will, has been invaded. Um, October of this year, 2020, I was in the car with my wife. And in the car, we started having a discussion. And that discussion, she told me that she had filed for divorce and then unfiled for divorce. And in this discussion, 
I was very confused and I was becoming symptomatic again. So I relinquished, you know, the will. I got out the car and she says, I'll take you home. You don't have to walk home. So I hopped back into the car for what it's worth. That conversation started to degrade quickly again. So I uh, decided to get out of the car. Now, as I was getting out of the car, um, this was like a simple run, you know, like a, a up up and back, you know, not anything major happening. So I wasn't wearing clothes that was fit for the weather. I was wearing my house clothes. Uh, I was wearing some Tom shoes, which have absolutely no grip. So when I got out the car, um, I slipped. I slipped and um, I was trying to slam the door as I was getting out. But uh, I fell right on my butt. And just what happens, there was a cop car behind us. As I started walking home, I'm mad. I'm talking to myself, you know, and I realized that the car had been pulled over. And so as the car was being pulled over, I keep going about my business and I see a second car pull up. Now I'm thinking that something, you know, has gone wrong. You know, I don't, I, I never want anyone to suffer because of my bipolar. And I tell the second officer that pulls up, I say, Hey, look, the woman in that car, she didn't kick me out. She didn't throw me out or nothing. There was no, you know, there's no reason for her to, to be in trouble. And, uh, this officer said, okay, it's fine. Uh, what's your name? And it's your ID. Now I recently had just lost my ID, so I didn't have it. Uh, and I also didn't have my phone on me. So the man, uh, the officer ran, ran my name. And while he's doing that, I decided to sit down, turn my back to all the action, uh, cross my legs. I'm in a meditative pose and I'm just waiting for the situation to be done so I can go home. That was not the case. I did not see home again for another 56 days because as I was sitting there, uh, three cops came right up behind me. No warning. No, sir, there's an issue. Just all of a sudden, people are grabbing me. And um, there's one thing you don't do to a guy who is in the middle of having a baby manic episode, as I used to call him. Uh, you don't sneak up on them. You don't just grab them and start flinging them around. And uh, I'm, I'm black. I'm six foot four, uh, 200 pounds, tatted up. You know, I look like someone who's going to cause trouble. And I'm thinking maybe this is what it is. And I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? Like, we'll tell you in a minute. And I am freaking out. I'm freaking out. I'm thinking about George Floyd. I'm thinking about all of these men who get accosted by the police. And I'm like, why are you guys doing this? I am sitting in the most non-threatening pose possible. And you still accost me. As I'm laying on my stomach, I see my wife driving away. I'm very confused, like, dang, you're not even going to, like, record this or something? And the officer says that there was a warrant for my arrest. I was very shocked. I was completely shocked. Come to find out, May of this year, during one of the most ugly manic episodes I've ever had in my life, my wife called the police, and while I was away from the house, uh, the words that she said incited them to place charges against me and neither one of us knew this neither one of us knew this and I get a chance to talk to you about it today because I happen to have a lawyer 
I had a lawyer team. Uh, they worked for the ACLU and they took my case. And without them, I would still be sitting in jail right now. I would still be sitting in jail right now. And so some of you are listening to this and you're wanting to know more about this story. And you're going to hear more today. But I want to give you guys a few housekeeping rules today. I am a kid who grew up with a sister who was forced to read her journal in front of the whole family. And I saw on how that affected her in such a negative way. I go to therapy. In therapy, you try to speak about yourself and only yourself. If someone else is not in the room, you, you can't speak about them. Um, my father was a Muslim and gossiping was one of the one of the worst sins that you could create. So I'm used to not talking about other people's problems. And so today, as I talk about my own problems, I'm going to keep them centralized to just me. OK. I know there are people who are listening today. Uh, again, thank you for listening. but. I want you guys to know that this is not just going to be me talking about my sins. This is not just going to be me uh, bashing people. Um, no, this is not the case. I just wanted to set the scene for you guys to let you know where I'm coming from today. And today, there's no more tiptoeing. I finally get to approach a few topics that have been circling my life for almost the past two years. Now, some of you guys who are listening, actually almost all of you, if you're listening in 2020, then you probably were witness to what happened on my social media while I was locked away. Uh, as I mentioned, one of the problems that I deal with is mania. And in mania, some of the things you deal with are irritability, hypersexuality, overspending, uh, just all kinds of things. And being married and having all of these symptoms happen, you know, if your partner is not prepared for it, then your marriage is in for a world of trouble. And I was no different. I was no different. At the time uh, of me starting my very first podcast, um, I was dealing with an issue that happened at my home. It was a domestic issue. And the reason it's domestic is because me and my wife, we were having, I was having a conversation that was all yelling. And she often looks at me and just stares at me. And I'm like begging for her to help de-escalate. Um, it's like being in the sunken place where you can see what's happening, but you can't stop it. I can feel this rage just that's just inside of me. And I put a hole in the wall. And... That was not something that she liked. And so she came at me. And for me, that was such a shock. That was such a shock for her, for, for this to happen. And for those who are listening, my wife went to my social media and she claimed spousal abuse in the worst way. She showed you guys me yelling, me upset. She showed you guys uh, my office which, uh, if you know, I, my home office is full of beads. And um, I had threw my bookshelf to the ground. 
And uh, my room was already kind of junky, so I'm pretty sure whatever the picture was, it looked horrible. But for what it's worth, um, I'm a big guy. and I do a lot of barking, but there's one thing I don't do. I don't attack people. But while my wife was clawing my face, to be honest, she was clawing my face, um, I needed the violence to stop. My only problem, the only thing I did wrong in this situation was I met violence with violence. But my attempt to restrain and stop her turned into her ticket out of this marriage. I feel that she was looking for this for quite a while. The foundation of our marriage was because of bipolar disorder. I was years ago, I believe it was 2014. Um, I didn't know I was bipolar and I tried to uh, overdose. And I remember, I just remember, remember being on the phone with her. And at the time she lived like an hour away. And somehow I remember waking up, opening my eyes and she's right there in the house. Um, I was renting a room at the time with, with some friends. And I'm like, how did you even get in the house? And from that moment, I owed her a life debt, right? I felt that I, I owed it to her. You saved my life. You saved me. And I have to be whatever it is that you want me to be so that you can be rewarded for what you've done for me. Um, this created a cycle of codependency. Um, we got together because of those issues. And there were times in my marriage even before we got married, um, I could tell that she was still only with me because she was afraid of the uh, mental health ramifications if she wasn't there. And for what it's worth, if you're dealing with someone who who deals with bipolar on this level, uh, you guys got to talk to a professional. Like there is, there can not truly be any expectation of a successful relationship if it's built on this toxic foundation. So with me and this warped sense of duty, I did everything that I could to stifle my own symptoms. I mean, we got to the point where in an argument, if I mentioned that I was feeling suicidal again, she would tell me that this was bullying her. And I would say, what am I supposed to do? And at some point, I just started keeping all of those thoughts to myself, which is not good. And um, I eventually finished my degree at Georgia State uh, in psychology. And that helped me a lot to understand my own diagnosis, to even be able to accept my diagnosis of bipolar. And um, I thought I was good for a while. You know, I, I learned to accept medication antidepressants, mood, um, mood stabilizers, you know, this became my world. So then it became our world. I remember there were nights where, you know, I mean, I don't know if it was the PTSD part of me or just bad sleeping habits, but I would fight in my sleep. I would kick out. And then, you know, I, she's in the bed next to me. So I'd wake her up and I'm waking myself up and I'm like, wait, what's going on? And other nights it'd be she's just in the kitchen crying three o'clock in the morning because she can't get any rest next to me. 
So now I'm sleeping on the couch. Now I'm ignoring my bed rules and staying up to about four in the morning, you know, just doing my own thing in another room because I'm seeing how my bipolar is starting to spill over into my relationship. These are some of the things that happens when you cannot get a grip on your own symptoms and your partner is, I'm going to say, really unwilling to meet you on your playing field. I created, before I was arrested, I had created a, an 11-page document, a safety plan. These are the things that I need. These are the things I'm working on. These are the things that you can do to help me. And this document was essentially not used. I had four people utilize it. Uh, but the person who was closest to me, I gave her all the power, all the trust. And um, as time went on, things got kind of rough. Things got kind of rough, guys. So I started life coaching. But I didn't life coach so that I could, you know, get clients and get rich. You know, I, I really hate giving people advice sometimes, but it's just a thing that just pops out of me sometimes. But I became a life coach for myself. Let me repeat that. I became a life coach for myself. I felt that if I couldn't get help from anyone else, I could at least learn the tactics and strategies that people use to handle each one of these symptoms one by one. Now, unfortunately, I mean, there's like so much that we could get into today, but um, I basically like who I really am was being suffocated because I wasn't allowed or I didn't want to betray her. I didn't want to betray her confidence. The problems that we had, I took it all on the chin. It was all me. It was all my fault. I'm the one with the mental illness. I'm the, I used to ask her so many times, why are you with me? And she would get so upset whenever I would ask her that. But it was just, I thought that was just another symptom of, I didn't feel like I was worthy to be married. I didn't. I really didn't. So for what it's worth, the pedestal that I put her on, I can't bring it down. So I'll never attack her. I will attack this situation, but I will never attack her. And so as I'm saying these things, I know that my friends are listening. I know that her camp is listening. I know that people who don't even know what the hell is going on are listening. But I need you guys to realize that when you love somebody who's bipolar, you have to remain diligent. You have to remain diligent. Now, here's the thing. Um, the situation, the legal situation with my wife, um, when the cops came, now I'm, I'm telling you, this is a little out of order because this is like two years worth, worth of stuff. But um, the cops, they're hammers. And to a hammer, everything is a nail. So she and I both agreed that I didn't belong in jail. In DeKalb County, Georgia, there is a uh, program called the Misdemeanor Mental Health Court. This is a program that I was trying to get into for a while. Um, even though I'm a veteran, 
you know, they don't have all the programs that people like me need. And I really wanted to be in this program, uh, not to skirt any uh, legal problems. That was an advantage of it, yes. But it was because it was a year-long program where I was going to get intensive social workers working with me. Hey, these are skills that I think that you could utilize. You need to finish the skill. We'll talk about it. You know, productive time. There was a moment when I wasn't employed. Um, and so there was a facility that they wanted you to go to and have two hours of structured time, stuff like this. And so this is what I'm thinking is going to be the strategy for the now 2020 arrest that I had. So while I'm in jail, guys, while I'm I, me in jail, another black man, another black man in jail. But while I'm in jail for a situation that I know for a fact never would have happened had she not attacked me. I know it also wouldn't have happened had I not been yelling and screaming and hitting the walls. If these things hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here right now having this kind of a discussion, but I am. They did happen and I'm here now. Now, the problem is there was another symptom that I wasn't taking care of, and that's my hypersexuality. Oh, man, we could talk all day about this and we're going to. Um, but I don't want to be perverse. I don't want to be pornographic about the way I'm talking about a highly taboo subject in the first place. So um, I did make a professional uh, resource, a friend resource during the during my time as uh, training with the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Um, good. Uh, well, I'll keep his name out of it for right now, but he is a published author. And his book is about his cybersexual addiction. And during our coursework, he would talk often about how, you know, certain things helped him. And I just kept thinking to myself, wow, I've got to interview this guy. I've got to learn how to handle my hypersexuality because I had no idea. To be honest, I still kind of don't. So personally, I've taken the vow of celibacy. Um, like a true one, no self-stimulation, nothing, uh, because my situation was very, like my needs were very specific. They were very specific. And I will not betray what, what happens in my bedroom with my wife, you know, but what I will tell you is that I did go looking for love in other places. I was a digital kid. I'm a nerd. I love computers and this, that, and the third, chat rooms, stuff like that. And in indulging this, you know, that is something that I could have did better on. But for me, there was one thing that was running my life, and it was bipolar disorder. So I can't, it's, it's hard to explain it, but it's like a purge valve whenever you get a chance to indulge in one of your manic behaviors. When you're in the high side of mania, sometimes you don't care where you get it, right? And even though I was doing things in a digital sense, that's still, it's like emotional stepping out and I shouldn't have done it. But that was discovered while I was in jail. 
my wife had my laptop and she was trying to do some things on it. Uh, I'm not really sure what, what she was trying to do on there. And she saw these things and she became irate. I mean, you would too, wouldn't you? Someone that, you know, made some vows to you and they're doing these things. For me, as bad as they are, um, every one of my bipolar symptoms, none of them feel like symptoms. They all just feel like character flaws and they all suck. They all suck. So when she saw all of these things, she says, you know what? I'm out. Okay. But the way that she wanted to be out was to put on blast that I was in jail and some other things. Um, but the way that she did it, she did it as a scorned woman. She did. And I really hate that she feels that this is something that she had to do because I know for a fact she would get no peace doing it. She would get no peace doing it. And she really doesn't want to hear me out. So that's fine. But um, I know her friends are listening. And I know her friends are going to take it back to her. So the only thing I need to say right here on top of this mountain that I have called a podcast is that just because you're bipolar doesn't mean that you can be a hypersexual maniac and be okay. You need to have these discussions with your partner. And I was a coward and I should have had these discussions. I will share with you guys my triumphs, you know, and I will share with you my low points because at the end of the day, it's the lies that we tell that keep people from their proper healing. If I gave you some sort of, oh man, yeah, like I'm just the guy, you know, hypersexuality hits me, but I deal with it and I'm cool and I'm doing things, you know, in the shadows, someone's going to hear this and they're not going to be able to heal from it. They're not going to be able to get the whole picture and they won't be able to heal from it. And that devoids the reason for me even doing this. I don't know if it's my mental illness or I don't know if it's some deep seated, you no know, self-righteousness, but I always feel the need to help. In my training classes with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, we had to write down what our goals are. And I said, with my dying breath, I want to be able to help them. I had to define who them was, you know, smart goals. We'll talk about that later. If we haven't done so already. But it's just in me, guys, to freaking help. And my wife knew that. So she decided, hey, you know what? What better way to make sure that he can't do what he wants to do? Go on social media and demonize him. And so now I do need to talk to a very specific camp of people. And it's for those who probably aren't listening right now because they decided that they would believe the worst about me. My wife put up pictures and she put up uh, um, videos. I hear, I hear that she went to people individually and she did the same thing with them. Um, but all she did was she just left so many people confused and so many people angry because people are hearing like, what? This is a domestic abuser. What the hell? No, he's, Someone who is one of the best of us. I can say that. Because people have said it to me that they were disappointed because they thought that I was this vicious monster beating on my wife. 
and I barely even bat an eye because I'm like, she's playing you guys. At my job, my ex-job, a lot of self-righteous liberal types work there. The types that will wear Black Lives Matter t-shirts and, you know, they don't realize that they're utilizing their privilege, you know, more times than they, you know, care, care to say. But these people were around me for almost two years, never saw me angry, never saw any real true problems, yet my wife was able to manipulate them with the drop of a dime. And I'm not surprised. I mean, look at our political no arena. People can just say something or don't say something, and everyone just kind of just act like sheeple, and they just follow suit. So she came into my camp, and my friends, my closer friends, they were very confused. Like, bro, I thought this happened like a long time ago. I'm like, it did. But because my wife had just found out some new information about me, she wanted to change the narrative of who and what I am. And it was upsetting for me only because people, certain people, believed the worst about me. They would, me and my wife have been separated for six months. Six months, we have been paying bills in separate places. So the place where I live, I live uh, with older white people. My coworkers went to one of my housemates and was like, has he ever beat you? This is what the stigma of bipolar, what we have to fight against. And I'm sitting here like, they asked you that? And then when they are told no, they're still not satisfied. They want their narrative to be right because they can't understand why somebody, somebody will say these things about your boy Cass. My wife is very upset. She's livid. And I understand that. But you cannot make these childish claims that have adult consequences. Um, What I'm afraid of is that somebody who needs to hear me won't hear me anymore because of what she's done. Now, I'm not some major celebrity. I've had maybe a couple hundred plays on my podcast. Uh, That's super dope. You know, my, my jury business, you know, I got you know, a lot of orders and things like that. And everything I do was about mindful and kindfulness. But it really says something that the people closest to me who may not know me, you know, inside and out, these people are willing to believe the worst because it's sensationalized. I have no reason to lie to you. None. Zero. I spent 56 days in a DeKalb County dungeon. They took my medication away from me. They put me on suicide watch for eight days. When you're someone who wants peace to be the source of all of this hate and this hate, my friends, she clearly hates me. But the hate was starting to spill over. It was starting to spill over. Her camp was reaching out to my camp, threatening them, making them afraid. And I'm like, it has to stop. 
So I'm telling you guys now, again, if you're listening to this, you probably were invited. Any hate that you're seeing, I didn't mean for the hate to come. I never have and I never will. To this day, I don't hate her. I'm supposed to. It only makes my decisions that I have to make in the future harder. The fact that I don't hate her. But this world is full of so much hate. That's why I started this damn mission. I've been around the world. I've seen people, different races, people who speak different languages, who can speak the same language of hate, no matter what side of the world you're on. And it found me. It found me in my camp. No, no, it stops now. It stops now. I want you guys to understand that I am a man. I am a man. I'm not some super guru. I'm not some deity. I'm not some disciple. I'm just a man trying to find a way through life. And I promise you, if I didn't have bipolar disorder, man, things would be so much better, I think. But that's me looking on at the grass being green on the other side. I'll never know a life without bipolar because it doesn't go away. The reason they had to put me on suicide watch was because I knew that fact. I knew that fact. I knew that while I was sitting in there, no matter what the courts were doing, which the courts were very wrong, no matter what they're doing, I was still going to be bipolar. I was still going to be bipolar. And um, I decided not to be here anymore. I decided I was I was tired of fighting. Mm. I can't believe I, I I spent a life helping others and I didn't have enough in the tank for myself. I didn't want to be here anymore. And if you think being bipolar on the outside of jail is hard, <sighs> I'm telling you guys. I've seen things that no man should ever have to see. I've experienced things that no man should ever have to experience. I don't want this diagnosis. For those of you who hear people say things like, oh, I'm just bipolar. It's it's not a cute illness. Knowing is different than seeing. I know. Some people can never imagine me yelling and hollering and shouting and cussing. So people can't can't imagine that. It's been a while since I've done that. You got to remember some of these things that were that were put up were um, time displaced. You know, she wanted to incite the masses now. And um, I just needed all to stop. I mean, even the day I was released from jail. The day she shows up at the house where I'm renting a room. She demands of my older roommates, I'm coming to get some things that are mine. I'm coming with the police. And she did. I'm, I'm, I don't even have a working phone at the time. I don't even have an opportunity to even cool my heels for half a second. And here she goes again. As time goes on, As time goes on, you guys will see that what I'm saying is true.
I'm not worried. I know this message can kind of be everywhere. There were a lot of points for me to touch on. There's still more for me to touch on. But today, today I wanted to talk to you like this because I no longer have to protect her secret. Where she works at, how she works. I never wanted anyone to see my Bambi without rose-colored glasses. I never wanted you guys to have anything bad to ever say about her. Ever. I'm the big boy. I can take all the hate. I can take all the heat. That's who I've always been. A self-prescribed hero, if you will. (laughs) But what I can tell you is that right now, I'm at the end of one life, you know, one style of life, one phase of life. One, one novel has been done. Now it's time for me to start the opening pages of another novel. Some of you guys have had way too much access to me. I'm the kid who needs to be protected but I'm standing in the front of, of I'm, I'm, I'm standing as the vanguard. I'm standing in front of the line, but I still need to be protected. But people don't know what needs to be protected. So I have to learn myself and then show people around me what I need. I have friends that they know when I'm speed talking. Uh, they know when I'm drinking too much. They know uh, when I use substance abuse. Oh, my God. Uh even now, knowing about the hypersexuality, like if I was to be out and about, which COVID is happening, so you know, even though I am in the South, I'm not at the clubs. Uh, if I'm out and about and something happens, I would expect my friends to be like, "Hey, whoa, bro, hey, what's going on? You sure you should, you you should be taking that many shots? Like, ain't they gonna mess with your medication?" These are the kind of things that I mean by I need to be protected. And the way I know it is because I've been searching myself for many years. I hope that you guys can start to do the same for yourselves. What do you need in your life? Who do you need in your life? Are you in a toxic situation? If you're dealing with bipolar, if you're dealing with someone who has bipolar, I'm just letting you know right now, this podcast is going to start changing a little. I've only did like six episodes on this particular podcast, you know, uh, and, and I'm keeping them up. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping them all up there just as a marker of growth. But this podcast is changing. I'm bringing in the people who know how to help. I'm bringing the conversations that need to happen out loud. And if you're ever in a domestic situation, There's two things I want to say. One, de-escalate it. Kindness always works. Guys, I would beg for it. I used to say in therapy, like, that's the one thing that can help me is just a kind word or sit down. Hey, look, let's, let's, let's come back to this issue when you're not angry. And two, if things ever, ever become physical, Men, let it happen. Let it happen. Let it happen. Um, I'm sorry to say it, but let it happen. And ladies, if it's happening to you, definitely get help. Go get help. 
Don't just try to frame someone and set them up in a way that they look bad. I'm not worried about looking bad. This podcast is just, it's going to live here. It's not for me to become rich. There's so many people making podcasts. Please, man. Like, if you know what it takes to make money on a podcast, I'm not here to get rich. I'm not here to get famous. I'm here to do a job. Right now, I'm cooling my heels. I'm doing my thing. I'm in my cast lab. And for what it's worth, I do want to thank the guys and, and gals who have been, who have heard about the situation, who have known about it, um, and who were able to at least reserve judgment until they at least heard from me. Some of you are still going to be pissed. I get it. I get it. And if you don't want to be in this camp, you don't have to be. You will be missed, but you don't have to be. Our goals, our our dreams, they're just that. They're goals and dreams, and they belong to us as individuals. You have your own. I have my own. But the grand scheme of things, if we put them together, if we put our heads together, we can make this world a little bit better. And sometimes that takes people who have been in a situation where things aren't as pretty in black and white. It takes them to stand up. To stand up and to tell the truth about what's really happening. Before I go, I just want to say something. Um, my my uncle called my mother, and um, you know my entire family they're they're they are afraid because they there is there's a case uh, there's a woman in Arizona who was claiming that her husband was beating on her, and everyone's trying to say, no, this is not the case, but the man still has to go through the legal system. Uh, the man eventually finds another woman. He finds another girlfriend. He's waiting for this woman to get off work. He's sitting in the parking lot waiting. Uh, there happens to be another man in the parking lot, and he's waiting for his wife to get off work. And he is recording the Christmas lights. This happened this year. He's recording the Christmas lights outside of um, the wife's job. The woman who was claiming that she was getting beat walks up to her ex-lover's car, pulls out a weapon, and puts three bullets into his head. She then starts to rough herself up because she has already called the police. And when they get there, she tries to claim that she was about to be abducted and this was self-defense and she had a right to do this. And for what it's worth, she would have got away with murder if it hadn't been for that other guy who was recording the Christmas lights caught everything else on camera as well. I didn't have that luxury. I didn't have that luxury. And the reason I tell you this story is because it's the optics it's the optics, guys, that really matters. And I need for the people in my camp to understand that there's only going to be a few times that you're going to be tested with friendship. Some people could care less about being my friend. <laughs> but when it comes to telling the truth, oh, I tell the truth because I, I can't remember my lies. 
And now my family is afraid that she would do something else. She'll do something else to try to put me back in jail. She's already said that that's her mission. That's her goal is to keep me in there as long as possible. She still has my Facebooks. She still has my Instagram. She still has my Gmails. She still has all my legal documents. She still has all my military documents, all of it. But I'm not worried anymore. Because I'm making a plea for peace right here, right now. This would be the only time I speak about this. If you guys try to engage me in conversation, I'm going to say, hey, look, go back to that mm, almost hour long conversation that I had with myself on the air and listen for yourself. Now you get a chance to see the real me without having to hide, without having to skirt the issues. I'm trying to move out of this situation. I'm no longer trying to fix it. So I want to thank you guys for letting me share this to you. I thought I wasn't going to get a chance to do it. And I'm glad I I get a chance to talk to you. In the future, we're going to get onto a regular schedule. Life has to continue. That's what it does. That's what it does. Life moves on no matter what happens. As disjointed as this message may have been, I hope that you, I hope that you heard me. I I really wish I was a little bit more focused and, and concise, but like I said, they did take me off all my meds, so it's only been about a week that I've been back on my medication, so I'm still waiting for some of it to kind of kick in, um, and so that's why, like, I haven't given you guys a a, a, a date for when we're going to start kicking off everything again. But my mission is not done. My mission is not mine to give up. I have an 11-year-old little girl who I pray to God never has to deal with bipolar herself. But I want her to be emotionally astute. Astute. I hope that was the right word. I want her to be emotionally developed enough to know how to handle the sticky situations in life. I want my friends to be able to do the same. When I do go, when I do leave this world, it will not be by my own hands. I promise you that. I'm done with that kind of stuff. But when I do leave this world, I'm going to look at God and tell him that, hey, look, I'm empty. I've used everything that you gave me. I've used it all. Can I come in now? That's my end goal. Now, my life is starting to make a few changes. And so, I need to figure out what my goals are here on this earth. The bipolar society is still a thing. Cast up creations is still a thing. But right now, I'm just taking it easy. One day at a time. I'm still me, guys. I have changed because of this situation. I've grown up a little bit more. That puppy dog lover. I don't know, man. Like, it doesn't seem like it's for me, you know. So I used to ask myself, what is life without, you know, chasing tail? What is life without love, you know, romantic love? And um, 
there are things out here and I, I plan on seeing them all. And so as I see them, as I learn them, as I find new tactics and resources and tools, I'm going to bring them to you. It's just what I do. It's just what I do. So for those of you who are still upset with me, I apologize that you feel that way. But for everyone else, we have work to do. And I want to thank you for letting me share this. I want to thank you for letting me be who I am. We're going to end this stigma. And if it's not going to be in my lifetime, I'm going to help catapult whoever can. That's it for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Peace.